We're going to transition over the next couple of weeks into another um, subject about the Holy Spirit. Um, it was asked, what are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? How does He reveal Himself to us? Um, but before we get into that, um, we're going to be talking about um, where was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and this week and probably next week too, um, we'll be kind of transitioning by saying, um, what's the difference between how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament and how He worked in the New Testament? Because quite frankly, some of those uh, ways that the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament were not things that He doesn't really do in the New Testament, and vice versa. So, is there a difference, and what's the difference? And I'll say that there is a difference that we can see in the Scripture. And the, the difference, today I think we're only going to cover part of this, uh, the difference starts with an understanding of why the Old Testament was different than the New Testament. What was the purpose behind the Old Testament? And how is that purpose different from um, God's intentions in the New Testament? Because the work of the Holy Spirit is closely tied. Well, it's not closely tied. It's, it's inseparable from the will of God in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And so we're going to touch, I mean, we could go for weeks on this subject alone, but we're going to basically fly through this and give an overview of, okay, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to be looking through some scriptures together and uh, trying to get an understanding as best we can of how things have changed in the New Covenant versus the Old Covenant. Why was the Old Covenant not sufficient I mean, if wasn't the Old Covenant given to us by God too, why would God give the people something that wasn't sufficient? And then saving, you know, saving it till, you know, the New Testament, till, you know, the Messiah comes. Well, we're going to see all of those things in the Scriptures, and Lord willing, He will give us sight to see um, these things. Before we get into that, though, let's pray together and seek the Lord's guidance. Father, I pray that You would forgive us for... Um, for just the how we don't measure up, how we have not measured up today, yesterday, the day before. I just pray, Lord, in the, th in the ways that we have fallen short, Lord, I pray that these would not stand between us and seeing you in the Scriptures. But Lord, may your kindness lead us to repentance. May we see your goodwill here in the Scriptures today. And Lord, help us to, to see how the Holy Spirit is, is working today. Um, help us to see how He was working yesterday. Um, and I pray that you would help us through these studies to gain a confident faith in the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might rely upon Him, that we might work the works that He is leading us into as He is working the works that He is seeing in Christ, who work the works that the Father had revealed to Him. And then as we follow in their footsteps, Lord, uh, give us guidance, give us confidence and boldness in our faith. Um, in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, and as I mentioned briefly, we see that in the Old Testament, when we're, we've been studying the last few weeks, some of those details were things that the Spirit does today. I mean, He still equips for the to, to He still equips His people for the will of God. He still empowers us for His work. He's He still um, gives us the ability to obey. He still fills us to, with His. He still fills us to be able to perform the will of God. Um, to seek the will of God. He opens our eyes, just like He opened the eyes of you know, David to write all those psalms. He still does those things. He did those things back then. He still does those things. He was, the cre you know, he was there at creation, which doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, just a lot of the things that we covered were not so different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So what is the difference? 
Well, first, we need to look at the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament was for. Um, there were different elements at work in the Old Testament, um, just briefly stating this, that were simply there to prepare the people for the Messiah's kingdom of mercy and grace. Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Somebody read verse 10, and then verse, chapter 13, verse 1. 12, 10, and 13, 1. Zechariah 12, 10, and 13, 1. 12, 10. Yes. And I will pour out the spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on all the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as a firstborn son who has died. And then 13, 1. On that day a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and Okay, so in Zechariah, he was prophesied. I mean, this is a messianic prophecy. This Zechariah, unbeknownst to so many people, Zechariah is one of the most uh, messianic of the of the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, is, you know, soars above them, but Zechariah is up there and being one of the most profoundly messianic prophets in the Old Testament. And he is prophesying to Israel. Um, it is, I mean, it, it is, Zechariah does follow the themes of Isaiah very closely in the sense that there is cursing and then blessing, cursing and then blessing, cursing and then promise for blessing, just the way Isaiah does. Um, and he is telling, and this is, in a sense, a blessing, sort of. He's foretelling of a time when things are simply going to be different. Okay? You know, he says in 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Okay, so he says that God is going to give them a spirit that pursues the grace and the mercy of God. That's what that verse is talking about. Um, he's not saying he's going to give them a spirit that is gracious to their neighbors per se, as much as it is saying that he is going to reveal to them that they are utterly in need and destitute, destitute and in need of God's grace and mercy. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over his firstborn. Now remember, what, remember the first sermon that Peter preached? After he was filled with the Spirit. Do you remember what the main gist of what that sermon was? Just any... Yeah, in Jesus it is fulfilled. What is being fulfilled... Acts chapter 2. In verse 34, he talks about, he says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And this is where we get into kind of the grand finale of his sermon, where he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. 
which is in direct correlation of what we see in Zechariah. He's saying, you are going to, he's going to give you a spirit of grace and please for mercy so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him. And this is exactly what Peter's first sermon is about. He is saying, you have crucified the Messiah whom God has sent. And what is their response? In verse, 30, in verse 38, it says, in P, uh, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? <laughs> Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and, and on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. So we see here Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled in the New Testament, all revolving around the work of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, it, he's telling, Zechariah is telling the people of God, you, have, you, can, you will not follow God. You're constantly rejecting Him. You're constantly chasing after idols. God has given you this law, but you can't keep it. So... There's going to be a day when, not, and it's not just that God is going to help you obey, but God is going to give you the eyes that see your need for the grace and the mercy of God. And that's really, if you were to summarize, if you were to try to, in a, in a brief statement, state why the Old Testament was there, why the law was there, why all this stuff was going on, it is for the people to, be, to have a foundation of understanding their need for grace and mercy. Because that's what we've always needed. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've always needed grace and mercy, but we just don't get it. People are always going to be struggling with this, this, this idea that I have to earn something. I have to earn the favor of God. I have to go and get it. I have to atone for my own sins. And in the Old Testament, we see it's more or less the primer for the New Testament. He's constantly pushing the primer button, pumping it with gas, so that when the time comes, he can actually start the engine, because the people weren't ready for it yet, because the people had no foundation for understanding their utter need for grace and mercy. They hadn't known desperation, how they desperately needed God, but they couldn't get Him. They had never come to that point. So in a way, the Old Testament is all the stories, all the, all the drama, all the, the rises and falls, the, the climaxes, and uh, all these types, all these things, all these um, tools and stories that we see in the Old Testament. Really, you could say that it's all there to bring humanity, particularly the Jews, through the Jews, but then spreading through the rest of humanity to a point where they see their desperate need for the grace and mercy of God. And then in verse 13, 1, he says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Isn't that a beautiful way to put it? It is. It's an extremely beautiful way to put it. <laughs> you know, and it kind of ties in with what we talked about last Wednesday about the fountain of, of Christ being the fountain of living waters. Again, correlating with what Zechariah is saying here, a fountain is going to be opened, and anybody who drinks will never thirst again. And that's, you know, the people still had a hard time understanding that, but they at least had a foundation when Jesus was on the earth. They had a foundation for understanding these things, and that's kind of the point. Because humanity is hard. Humanity is rebellious. And we have thick skulls, don't we? And hard hearts. At our very core. We really do. Right. Right. 
So he has made it through the Old Testament utterly, undeniably clear that we need grace and mercy. <laughs> so then we go to Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, we're, I mean, this is probably where we're going to end for the day because uh, it's almost 7.30 already. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, we really see this being brought to light. And and maybe the best I can do is just read these passages so that we can see what the Scriptures tell us about Christ because it actually talks to us about um, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Old Testament cleansing system versus the New Testament cleansing system. So let's just, I mean, I, I was going to kind of walk through these a little bit, but I actually think it might just be best for us to read them together and just see the, the author of Hebrews telling us about Jesus, the fulfiller of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, where the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was to, to please, please for forgiveness, but it was insufficient to utterly save to the uttermost. So let's just start reading Hebrews chapter 9. And it says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered... Um, on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tab tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail now. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with the food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of reformation. But... When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established." For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. 
For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins." Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with much better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And let's just go ahead and and stop there. Um, But it keeps going on. And honestly, the book of Hebrews is just a fantastic study. I know you guys have studied it before. Um, somewhat. I don't know exactly the extent of that, but this is Hebrews is one of my favorite books because it just teaches us, I feel like, everything we need to know about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the significance of the New Testament, Christ's death, and how it correlates with the Old Testament and juxtaposes those, thing, those two sides. But here in the passage that we just read, I mean, what were some of the things that stuck out to you that you heard? Is there anything that you heard that, you, that meant something? Kristen? Yeah, the picture that comes into my head when you're talking about that, just the difference between a sun and a black hole. You know, the Old Testament just reveals the black hole of sin where it's just the Old Testament, the law is constantly consuming life. 
constantly consuming and never able to be satisfied. It just cannot take enough. <laughs> you know, but then the New Testament comes and it's literally the sun from God, the dawning of the new age of Jesus Christ where he is emitting life, whereas he is emitting light and warmth, <laughs> you know, and never, never uh, being empty, always giving grace and always giving mercy and never, he's never running out of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And when he talks about death through Adam, I mean, just think about, think through the Old Testament prior to Jesus becoming our new Adam. Just think, like, everywhere, death, death, people dying, animals dying, sacrifices being made, people being murdered, people being slaughtered, people being condemned. It's just death all over the pages of the Old Testament, is it not? You know, those are where the red words should be because there's just blood everywhere in the Old Testament. Always life being taken, always life being lost. But then you get to the New Testament and life and grace is given. The love of God is shed. It covers the world. The blood of Christ covers everybody. Giving life where there once under the old covenant was nothing but death and misery and loss. What else did you guys see? Sacrifices repeated over and over and in this over and over again, it says once for all, once mm-hmm. for all. Right. <clears throat> so, he has been satiated. Yeah. Because even in Malachi, you see the priests. I mean, one of the one of their problems was they were just wearied by all the sacrifices. They, you know, he says, they snorted at it and saying, "What a weariness this is!" So they despised the offerings because it just never ended. <laughs> Yeah. They kind of got substitute thing, but uh, they don't see the shedding of the blood is so necessary now. Mm-hmm. The argument, you know. And, yeah. Uh, Michael Brown answers that in his his books that he has. Sure. That <clears throat> he was a converted Jew. Yeah. He said, I rock star. Yeah. Guy when I was sixteen. Yeah. Atheist, but. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's got his doctor's degree. He wanted to. Right. And if the Jews would just read Hebrews, you know, uh, how many questions it would answer. <laughs> and the Catholics. And the Catholics, yeah, and the Catholics too. Right. 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 Because it is true. I mean, that's a good correlation. Like they've just replaced the Jewish sacrificial system with a more modernized one. <laughs> Anything else that stuck out to anybody that meant something to you, that struck a chord? I 
And I like chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. I love that imagery that he puts forward. You know, they couldn't, you know, the people under the sacrificial system, under the law, I mean, they couldn't see exactly what these things stood for. It's like seeing a shadow on the wall. Where you see, a, you can see a shadow on the wall, and you can see some detail. You can see certain details, like if you can see your hand, on, you put your hand up against the light, and you can see the the shadow on it. But if somebody's looking at that, you could tell it's a hand, but you don't know really how big it is, or you know if it's an old person's hand, or a young person's hand, or if it's a black person, or a white person, or you just, there's just so many details you can't know from a shadow. You can tell that there's some sort of thing there, but you can only know so much from a shadow, right? So he says, the law was a shadow of good things to come. And that's why, you know, elsewhere it's written, these things were written for our instruction um, so that we could glean from these things, so that we could see God working in all these things. We can illustrate the New Testament with the Old Testament. You know, if you, I mean, I've, I've talked to people in the past who think, you know, we don't, I don't even need to read the Old Testament because the New Testament is sufficient for me. But I just feel sorry for those people because if you read the Old Testament, the New Testament just comes to life. You know, because you can really start seeing how beautiful and how substantial the New Testament is from the Old Testament. How, where, where it came from and all these, all these images of New Testament realities that just excite the soul and draw a person into a deeper understanding of the salvation God has given. You know, we need to know the Old Testament. We need to study it. We can't... Uh, deprive ourselves of the beauty of the Old Testament. Even though we talked about it as a black hole and just constantly death and blood and misery and it's just never satisfied. But yet in all those things we can see the mercy of God being worked out in the program. <laughs> it was preparation and you said that in different ways several mm-hmm. times earlier. Mm-hmm. The law is our schoolmaster yeah. to bring us unto Christ. Yeah. So why do you want to belittle that? Right. Or do away with it and not right. use it in your teaching, your preaching, and your right. church. Mm-hmm. You're coming down on what God gives. Right. It's historic, if nothing else. Exactly. And it's like without understanding the implications of the Old Testament, how can we understand Ephesians 2, verse 11? Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. How can we understand that if we don't have a basic understanding of the Old Testament? How can we, under, how can we get to that point where we feel utterly without hope and in need of mercy and grace. (laughs) How can we know that without understanding at least some rudimentary details from the Old Testament? No, we need the Old Testament in order to understand our need for salvation. And we talked about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament helps us get back, helps our soul get backed into the corner so that we can see that our only hope is Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament does a beautiful job Working that out for us. <laughs> Helping us to learn that. So that we can actually be saved. Because a person doesn't get saved by praying a prayer. A person gets saved by seeing their need for mercy. And going to the only one who can give it. That's how a person can get saved. Not by praying a prayer, just because it, it's a good thing to do. And, and by learning about the God of the Old Testament 
If they don't learn the fear of the Lord, then they don't depart from evil, they don't, and then right back to what you said. They learn that God is a God that's going to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And, and you need something to save you from right. the wrath to come. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's just the, it's the scriptures that we're looking at. It's the scriptures that we're looking at. We're just saying what the scriptures are saying. So we must lift that high. Anybody else see anything that we or have a comment on anything else we've been talking about? Right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Peter sermon. I wish I could have. Yeah, I wish I could have been there to watch that all play out, just to see how people were reacting. And what shall we do? Right. He utterly, I mean, just in one sermon, he convinced three thousand people that yeah, this was the Messiah, and I killed him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be there to see the look on the people's faces when they when it when it dawns in their mind, I killed the Messiah. And it's no wonder they responded the way they did. What shall we do? <laughs> what are we supposed to do at this point? If we killed the Messiah, now what? <laughs> oh, I wish I, it's just, it would have been cool to see that whole thing t- taking place. Of course, I would have probably been on the, you know, the rebellious side of that conversation. But, <laughs> but through the eyes of the Spirit, we get a glimpse of it. Yeah, it? right. I'm meditating on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking a while ago, you know, what would it be like? And hear what he's saying here in Hebrew, well, what you read, mm-hmm. and hearing that as a, as a dying world Orthodox Jew, and that's the first time you hear it, and you're hearing all I've been studying and right. whatever based on shadows. Right, right. What am I missing? Right. And you base your whole life on that, and that's your whole life, and then all of a sudden, like you said, and that's, I was just talking to somebody um, about how, like, no wonder Paul, or once he was converted, took years off and just went into obscurity for a few years because he needed to go relearn everything that he's learned because <laughs> he's learned like a Pharisee how everything that he's been learning in the Old Testament was the thing. This is the end of the matter. <laughs> and then Christ comes and turns everything upside down and now he has to relearn everything. Like He has to re- recognize that Christ is the substance of all these things. So he's got to go through the whole Old Testament again and just relearn everything he's learned again. You've got to become a child again. Like you're going back to kindergarten to relearn all this stuff from the proper perspective. And it's no wonder he had to just go away for a few years, not be heard from from anybody. Anything else? This is it's been great. Well, if not, next week we'll kind of pick up more about the Spirit's work, but we kind of needed to take some time to lay a foundation for, okay, 
So now then the Spirit worked this way in the Old Testament because it was part of God's will to bring people to the understanding of mercy and grace, to have a foundation for what's coming in the New Testament. So in the, you know, the coming, you know, next week we'll look more at, um, okay, so how is that different from the New Testament? And what, even some of those things that were there in the Old Testament that are still here in the New Testament, you know, we'll see some key points in how, what causes that the Holy Spirit's work to be transformed in the New Testament. Um, but at this point, we'll move on to our prayer requests.